0: Hello and welcome to A Lot to Process, this podcast features conversations among a diverse group of friends, writers, thinkers, educators, and aficionados about pop culture, books, lived experience, and current events. Our multi-generational, multi-racial creative team uncovers the problematic and the transcendent, bringing many identities, feminist, queer, straight, black, white, Asian, and more to the conversation. everyone. This is your host, Carrie Osi. I'm here with my co-hosts, Sharon Lewis and Donna Anderson, and we'll be talking today about holiday rom-coms. We're going to be looking specifically at Happiest Season, Merry Little Christmas Wedding, and Operation Christmas Drop. We will be talking about the genre of holiday rom-coms, and representation in holiday rom-coms, especially how they look in 2020, perhaps as compared to 17 years ago when the Ur-Holiday rom-com came out, otherwise known as Love Actually. And uh, we'll be just giving our impressions about what these movies uh, serve in terms of a cultural purpose and the me- the needs they meet for us as viewers and uh, how they have uh, evolved over the years. So I want to open it up to my co-hosts to share maybe just some general thoughts about what do you look for in a holiday rom-com and uh, what are some of your favorites um, and, and what do you think they sort of mean culturally? Maybe I'll go first to Donna to talk about that.
1: Um, Well, you know, one of my favorites is the Merry Little Christmas series. Um, I look for a feel-good. I look for a feel-good, and I notice that a lot of the um, feel-good rom-coms seem to be like 90 minutes. Sometimes I want two hours just because you want to feel good and you don't want it to end. Um, But it is that time of the season, and some people get really geared up for the hallmark and the lifetime. Oh, you know we're going into Christmas movies, so I love that. Um, I just want to feel good when I watch them.
0: Absolutely, it's it's a it's a form of escape for sure. And yes, what and what what would you say, Sharon?
2: Yeah, I think all of that. Uh, I like when I you know I like the 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 calm of the rom com too. I wanna I wanna laugh. Um, yeah, I think escaping is part of it. Uh, I enjoy a good cry during it. So if it can make me cry, I, I also enjoy that. It's kind of cathartic for me. It's like part of the part of the, the fun of it, I guess.
0: Absolutely, right. The laugh, the cry. I, I love how they all I, I love the predictability of it. And so it's kind of like a very separate sort of entertainment experience than what I usually look for, because I'm usually looking for television or movies that take me in surprising directions and and challenge me. But this is something that interestingly kind of marries the excitement that we feel in a very childlike way about Christmas, and then a sort of more adult- feeling about, you know, romance. Um, And I I think that it's interesting that these movies connect those parts of our brains, both of which are very happiness oriented. I love how they all start with a pop song, you know, whether it's Mariah Carey or some other really modern uh, contemporary happy Christmas pop song. Every single one of them starts with that so I think yeah it's it's meant to make us feel good. So it's interesting to think about that in the context of all of the controversy especially last year with the Hallmark channel that actually fired its leadership over the fact that their holiday movies were not representative enough, you know that that they weren't representing Hanukkah, that they weren't representing characters of color, that they weren't representing characters in anything other than a heterosexual relationship. And I know Hallmark has taken some big steps to change that. And and I think they've done some interesting things since then, but Lifetime was already there. And I want to say that as we dig into the plots of these movies, we will be giving what you might call spoilers, although I don't think that they spoil the movies. I think you should listen, and if you haven't seen these movies, you will go, and you will know some plot points, and you will still love these movies, because they're all great. And uh, and so we will talk a little bit about these, but maybe we could start by talking about Lifetime, because Lifetime has made a big commitment to making some really beautiful holiday films, and um, these merry little... Christmas movies, I think, are a perfect example. Um, I watched both Merry Little Christmas from last year and Merry Little Christmas Wedding from this year. Donna, since you are the person who introduced us to these movies, maybe you could do a really quick recap, especially of the Merry Little Christmas Wedding movie that we'll be talking about today. Sort of what are the major things we should know about the characters and the plot?
1: Well, Kelly Rowland is the lead Jackie who is going to be getting married um to um her fiance who was from Merry Little Christmas, the first one. Um it was, you know, they had this whole big disaster uh during Christmas. Um her family is really big on Christmas time and decorations and, you know, doing it up for Christmas. It's a big family tradition for them. So um just her getting married during Christmas, everybody is excited about that. If you saw the first one, you're kind of prepping yourself for a little bit of Disaster um, for the second one. Um, But it's a story that's beautifully told. Um, By the way, the director, her name is Sharon Lewis, actually. Um, And so the director is very good at trying to give um, Black women a voice that is a focus of hers. So that was very interesting to see. There are a lot of takeaways, a lot of conversations in there that I found to be really good takeaways, good nuggets just for life and living. So um, I really liked it a lot. I liked the second one even more than I liked the first one. Um, And maybe because that's that whole romantic piece that I wanted to see how they would put that together. But I think Kelly Rowland did a wonderful, wonderful job as the lead in that.
0: Agree. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Sharon, any thoughts that you would add about about Merry Little Christmas Wedding? Uh, any plot points or, or scene setting that you'd want to add?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was really delightful. I mean, I guess just overall, it's about a couple. I didn't watch the first one yet. I did really enjoy it and I love Kelly Rowland, so I'm excited to um to watch it. But you know, they are getting together there's a, you know a little bit of tension around his children i, I from a previous relationship mm-hmm. and her you know building a relationship with them which i enjoyed watching throughout the movie i also you know it's sort of they're they're planning to get married and then there's kind of as as donna said a little bit of disaster and them trying to figure out what it means you know what it kind of means to be to be married that it's really about each other that i that I enjoyed. I love a, a cheesy romantic movie more than the next person, probably.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. As I'm thinking about this, I I I think that there's a lot to be said for creating this entertainment space that is that is for intelligent people, but it doesn't go to these really dark, brutal places. It's it, th- this is a movie that doesn't. I think look down on its audience or assume that the audience is is um, just about a bunch of mindless people. It's really intelligent, it's witty, but it also has this heart. And I love how both movies balance challenging family dynamics in a real way without having them just sort of sidetrack all the goodness. Um, it, throughout both movies, there's tension between the main character Jackie and one of her sisters Kiara they're really really different women and uh, they've come to really different places in their lives Jackie we learn through just a quick bit of exposition um in the first film went to MIT she's just brilliantly successful she's got her own business and she's got a major account that she's that she's winning in the first um, in the first movie. And so she's this type A organized person. And then her sister Kiara is not type A. She's a bit flamboyant. She's uh, a, a, a buyer, a professional, you know, personal um, shopper and a single mother. And they're they're having very different experiences, but I love how in their first scene together in the first film, and this comes up again in the second film, they manage the writing and the directing, I think, and the acting is so good because they manage to both communicate that these women have a really different idea of how to live life and and yet at the same time, truly love and respect and admire each other. You know, the, sh- the shorthand is that in the first movie, Kiara brings her dog to Jackie's house with us. Yes, does. <laughs> To Jackie's house. It's like all white, all done up in white. And... um and then Kiara is like just so fashionable. And then you realize, oh yeah, Jackie just dresses like a corporate lawyer. you like, you know, and Jackie needs some of uh, Kiara's help in 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 styling herself. So it was really uh, the whole throughout that, that, that was just a great balance where they showed these family differences, even the um, difference in ideas about how Christmas should look and feel. And I do have to say that seeing Debbie Morgan as their mother whenever I see her in anything, it just makes me so happy because as a child into my adult years, I watched all my children. She was, I was reading on her IMDb. She was nominated five times and won once a daytime Emmy for that, for her role is Angie on, uh, on all my children. So it's always wonderful to see her. So one thing that I think is interesting about this movie and we'll be talking about it with operation Christmas drop as well. And this might even move us a little bit into operation Christmas drop is this, these are worlds with where we don't see or hear about racism, you know, and I think that's part of the escape of it. And, you know, for some context, we'll talk a little bit about Daniel Levy's character in, in, Happiest season, and uh, we will reference that he was the creator and star of Shit's Creek, which is a, a TV show that similarly and very um, intentionally created a world without homophobia, and they talk about that in a Netflix special about the series. You know, so I think that these are intentional creative choices to be representative, but also show a world where you're just not dwelling on the negatives, you're just celebrating these, this love and these relationships and these families. And I wanted to ask really, maybe we could start with you, Sharon, you know, what, did you see it that way with these films, especially Operation Christmas Drop and Merry Little Christmas that their are Merry Little Christmas Wedding, that they created this space where we just aren't dealing with the isms?
2: I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think definitely in The Merry Little Christmas Wedding, um, you know, that it wasn't something that they grappled with or or ex- were experiencing. Um, and I, that was, you know, it was, it's wonderful to watch, right? Um, we all want to live in that world. I think the interesting thing about Operation Christmas Drop um, is that, yes, and, um, yes, that was the kind of the way it was set up. However. You know, when I was watching it, and then, as you guys know, I went down a Google rabbit hole that Donna went even further down, and, (laughs) um, you know, there was this moment. So the Operation Christmas Drop is a story about a white uh, Air Force pilot who is stationed in, I think, Guam in the Micronesian Islands, yeah, Guam, and he... Does this um, every Christmas? It's called Operation Christmas Drop, where they drop supplies to the, all a the bunch of the different islands that are pretty, you know, they're very remote um, in that part of the world. And that's a real thing; it actually does does happen. Um, but the story is about. A congressional aide, a legislative aide for a congresswoman who's played by Virginia Mazden. Is that who I who okay. is such a such a great actress? I I loved, you know, every part she played, even though she was kind of the villain who who turns <laughs> whose heart gets bigger during the movie. Um, so she goes, she basically is there to figure out what bases to close. So uh, Erica, the main character, is coming to write a report about all of the um you know the 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 waste and how they're spending taxpayer dollars on helping people. but so, but, but I want to touch on that because when I was watching it, there was this scene that Erica, the main character, uh, who is a black woman? I don't think I mentioned that in which is important, obviously, to our conversation. She, you know, is on the island, meeting with the Air Force pilot, meeting, you know, children that live on the island, and she starts pulling things out of her purse, like a set of highlighters, and then a hairbrush, and, like her used hairbrush, and you know, she gives them the bag, and and the one reading of it is that she's just really kind of finding her heart in sharing and and learning to. How in, well, one, how important you know, this operation Christmas drop is to the people that live there and um, you know, kind of finding the good of Christmas. But the other piece that I really reacted to was I was like, why is she giving a used hairbrush? And there's all, you know, there's a lot of um, kind of, I mean, first world and third world are problematic, but basic, but I'm going to use them for a shorthand. So, you know, uh first world first world meaning mostly uh white countries with a history of colonizing other places and you know when that's the the kind of third world piece. But so you know, so there's this history of kind of um infantilizing people from those countries and also you know not you know not um and and kind of you know kind of like this, we'll call, I mean, white savior complex in quotes, like first world savior complex. I'm not sure what the what the word is. So it got me down. So I Googled it, um, and what did come up was someone from Saipan, I think, um, in in Micronesia, you know, saying having a really strong critical reaction to this movie, saying that the Operation Christmas Drop, the real one, is doesn't help people, and then also that. This movie, you know, really showed the people native to that area, you know, didn't show them in cities, which there are very large cities there, in addition to more remote and rural places. Um, So I guess what I'm trying to say is, yes, the movie didn't kind of address those things. And, you know, there's all these layers of kind of what's baked in to American military presence in these places and what that means. Um, and the, I guess the other thing that happened while I was watching is I was watching with my wife Sam and she was in the Air Force, so she was, you know, she she sort of said, you know, there's this history of military movies that are filmed on bases and you know, kind of that they have to be a they have to be pro military, right? Like why would the military say yes to filming on the base if it wasn't military? So I said a lot because I have a, a lot. <laughs> A yeah. lot <laughs> to say about it, but but you know, and I also I love the movie. I thought it was very fun. I thought the acting again was good. I did think <laughs> I did think that um the main the main um male character oh my gosh I forgot Andrew. his name and Andrew. Andrew I was like we watched so many movies Andrew yeah. he was like such a white dude <laughs> like mm-hmm. but not in a negative way but he played the thing I couldn't get on my mind was he played Cato on the Hunger Game yes in the Hunger Games and he was kind of evil. you know he was like yeah he was kind of evil in it although conditioned to be evil but so that was something that I kind of couldn't shake when I <laughs> when I was watching it.
0: Yeah. Donna, can you share some of your thoughts as about Operation Christmas Drop, especially since you went even further down the rabbit hole?
1: Well, I think, you know, everybody like, you know, has an opinion. I didn't find as many uh, negative reviews about it other than that one. But I think also the the environmental piece, you know, they were talking about, you know, the military being there in Guam and that there's two uh, bases there, not just one. I think it's Andrews or Anderson is one. And the other one, there's two there. And they're just talking about the waste and that kind of thing. But I'm not sure that there was a way to work all of that into your 90-minute rom-com in which people were trying to feel good. I think that that would be a National Geographic documentary Mm -hmm. Um, about that. So that would be, you know, a space for them. And they have written about that National Geographic. So I did find, you know, an article from them about that. And they said that it's up to the Department of Defense. It's, you know, it's going to be the people that have to take all the environmental issues into consideration. Um, And I know Sam mentioned um, that um,
0: the... (laughs) True to military life?
1: Right. True to military life. But also that um, the male is white and the actress Erica is Black. And I noticed that their commanding officers were also in a mixed marriage. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't a thing. This wasn't a thing. She walked in for dinner and, you know, it, it wasn't a thing where there was a mixed relationship where that's something normally people would talk about. Oh, well, you know, they're in an interracial relationship. None of that came up in this uh, rom-com. Nothing came up even, you know, as we watched all the way to the end as you know, Erica and Andrew developed this relationship, it didn't, you know, it never came up. So it's just amazing to me that we can all find the good in things, whether it's the operation Christmas drop, we can find the good in their relationship and we're rooting for that relationship. You know, you're not saying it out loud. You're rooting for that relationship deep inside, like, Oh gosh, I hope they get together. You're rooting Uh for that relationship and you're not even looking at color. You're not looking at race. You're not looking at sexuality. You're Uh just looking at the whole love story that you're wanting to happen, that you're rooting for them. And I think that that's where that feel good piece comes in. And it doesn't matter race or sexuality or anything. When you're watching these things, you're like, Oh yes, this is great.
0: Absolutely. That's so true. And it, it takes me to a few thoughts, you know, what all of you have said. So, you know, Sharon is saying that her wife, Sam was, um, was in the military and, and um you know that this felt true to military life. Um, I have not been in the military, but my husband works for the Department of Defense. We uh, lived by a base where he worked for several years, also in another country. And I thought it was very true to base life. Um, Operation Christmas Drop. I thought that these, the way that these uh, military members were portrayed, was though it, it reminded me of the people I knew who were. Uh, earnest, hardworking, um, really wanting to do a good thing in the world. And I thought it was interesting that the actor that played Andrew, I think that the, they sort of dealt with that subtext in a really interesting way in Operation Christmas Drop that when the Erica, the main character, meets him, she does sort of think that he's more like a Cato from Hunger Games. There is this he thought that he he looks the part of just an awful white guy you know he's way too handsome he's way too confident he looks like a viking in fact i think he was in a show <laughs> called vikings if i if i don't remember that incorrectly so so it's part of her slow realization that there's more to him than meets the eye and his realization that there's more to her than meets the eye that she's not just Uh, a pencil pusher and not just somebody who wants to, to ruin all the good things he's doing. And that's very much a Christmas movie or I'm sorry, a a rom-com trope. And I thought that they did it really, really nicely. And I agree with Donna and I think it's interesting in these movies, the way that they are post-racial because I do think it's lovely that they show that world. I also think it's, a bit of a fantasy. I but maybe what's wrong with a little bit of fantasy? What's wrong with putting something out there that's the way the world should be, perhaps more than the way that the world is? And I thought one thing that I thought was really interesting going back to Merry Little Christmas Wedding was that I loved that the characters were black. You know, they acted black, they were black. They had black family traditions. They, uh, you know, I I thought that that was a really, it was probably part of giving black women a voice the way that this uh, director, Sharon Lewis, wanted to. And I thought, and I I loved that there was just one very special acknowledgement at the very end where the Kiara character with her new boyfriend is looking out at everybody in the family the, the parents who've had these long successful marriages and the new couple and the couple with young children. And she says, look at all this black love. And her boyfriend says, yes. And I love that acknowledgement. And um, and I think that there's a s- sort of wonderful world that these movies show us where, where all kinds of things can happen, but but black love is, is a special thing in and of itself. Donna, were you going to say more about that?
1: Yeah. Black love is a hashtag. Um, there's also an account um, you know, on Instagram that people follow and you see all these beautiful um, black love stories. Um, and I noticed in um, Merry Little Christmas Wedding that the cast is all black mm-hmm. with a few white people sprinkled in. But sometimes in these rom-coms, I'll see a rom-com that's all white, but no black people str- sprinkled in. And so I like that the director made that intentional from the hotel guy that comes out and says, oh, are you bringing a Christmas tree in? Mm -hmm. And he's like, shh, let's get it in beforehand. And, you know, the kid's hiding under his desk. Um, The the, the, the wedding director, Mm -hmm. who is white. Um, And so I like that they sprinkled in. They still tried to be all inclusive. And that's what I'm looking for. I guess Mm -hmm. now in a rom-com where people are trying to be all inclusive. We found that in operation Christmas drop as well. There were different people dropped in, even the people who were working to bring in the gifts um, for the Christmas drop. You had the other black female who gave her a dress for the party. Mm -hmm. Um, You had his other um, colleague who was helping to pack things. He was, you know, the short um, black guy, you know, so I, I definitely, you know, felt like it was all inclusive and I love that they are showcasing black love, but whether it's, it was an author that I heard once say, love is love, you know, Mm -hmm. we're all looking for that feel good, you know, love is love. We're all looking for that feel good. And you should be able to feel good whether you see black love, whether you see gay or lesbian love, or whether you see black and white love, you should be able to feel good about any love that you see.
2: Amen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can I say one thing about yes. the wedding, the wedding planner, the yes. one at the beginning of Merry Little Christmas Wedding that that pieces out because uh, he's he's got a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that he was a gay character, right? Like, you know, very not not said, but but by by sort of stereotype depiction. and action. Yeah, depiction. Thank you. I was actually very sad that he left because I loved the dynamic between him and Kiara. Mm-hmm. Just the, like just the way that I was like, Oh, I love this. <laughs> and it, it was appropriate that he left for the, for the movie, but I just wanted to watch the two of them like kind of, you know, uh, be prickly, but in a very funny way to like for the rest of, I could have watched a whole spinoff of just the two of them kind of like playing off of each other. <laughs>
0: well, yes, because that's a classic dynamic duo. It's like um Jack and Karen in um Will and Grace. You know, it's it's the it's the gay man and the difficult woman, you know, and 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 it's that was charming. I agree. It would have been a, a nice. And I think this goes back to Donna pointing out that there's a commitment with a lot of these movies to staying within about 90 minutes and staying in their in their lane. And I appreciate that. I appreciate these movies sort of knowing what the audience is there for, but certain things do get very shorthanded and sacrificed. And uh, I, I do think it's worth it in the end. And this might be an opportunity for me to go back to talking about we we're go- we're not diving into love actually, but we're acknowledging it because it is th- sort of the Christmas rom com that people reference whenever they're talking about this this mashup genre. And one thing that I was thinking about, and I was talking to Donna about this a little bit last night, I think it's a movie that was trying to be more than it was. You know, a Christmas rom com needs to stay in a certain lane. Unless it's got a very masterful hand behind it, and I would just say that Love actually did not. I was remembering that in the '90s there were some movies, I think, done specifically by Robert Altman, that had that that were more serious films um, that had a lot of different stories that they were like short stories, vignettes that they were weaving in and out of, and then showing how these characters were all related to each other and that's a really difficult thing to do. And it seemed that the uh, people who made Love actually thought they could do that with this movie. But what we just got was, and I don't know how long Love actually was. It felt too long to me. And yet we didn't learn, it was two hours. We didn't learn enough about any of these characters to quite become invested in them and to know fully understand their motivation or sort of what they were we're going through. And so it's kind of an example of a movie that maybe didn't stay in the rom-com lane, although obviously it wasn't punished for it. It was a, an extremely successful movie that is tremendously beloved to this day. In fact, it's become kind of a lightning rod because there's sort of you love it or you hate it. And as Sharon, Sharon can talk about the fact that she watched it earlier in her life and loved it. And but also sees that maybe it hasn't aged as well. Do you want to talk about that a little bit Sharon?
2: Yeah, I mean, I just you know it came out in 2003. I was like eighteen in 2003 and I watched that movie and I love I loved it. um you know, it made me cry and, like I just which you as you know is is a is a plus for me. but <laughs> I really loved it and I continued watching it again and again and again. And every year I'd watch it I didn't watch it this year though mm-hmm. but <laughs> but yeah because it's like I mean and it is like so problematic like the the female characters are flat the men love you know they are kind of idolizing women just for how they look and often they can't even in some cases communicate with one another because of a language barrier or other issues um yeah it's like not a it's not great, but i st- I mean I still like it. it's like a you know to me kind of a a classic, but you know, I mean, there's been the Jezebel takedown of it several years ago. um I think if I watched it, I know Donna, you just watched it for the first time I did, yeah, and I was like, I think if that were me, I don't think I would be into it, but that's kind of it's complicated, right? I'm on the love and the hate side. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Donna, as somebody who just now watched Love actually, what were some of your thoughts about it?
1: Well, I thought it was so many relationships. It was so many relationships that I don't know that I could commit to everyone's story. Like after the third you know relationship, I knew I could only commit to like three of those that I really enjoyed, which was the Portuguese uh, woman. And uh, the guy and the little boy and his Mm -hmm. crush. I really related to that. And I, the prime minister. Mm -hmm. So I, but I feel like if it were just two of those and they had developed that, I would have probably loved the film more. So I think, you know, they probably ran it a little long for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't get invested in so many, and so many of the relationships were kind of left unfinished. I feel like the, the husband buying the the office secretary the necklace like okay like what else happened with that so I felt like there could have been a whole spinoff with that you know so I just yeah it was it was a little long I wasn't committed to the relationships but did I feel good after I watched it yes interesting Yeah, yeah I did feel good after I watched it um I thought it was long. Would I have chosen it? Uh, No, because it was too many relationships, but I did have that feel good about love when it was all said and done. And I think the, the prime minister, um, finally figuring out that he really loved this assistant that was working for him and the, the little boy, you know, nailing that, you know, <laughs> courage to go after his crush. Uh, I I really love that. And the 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 guy going to the restaurant and talking to the Portuguese woman yeah. and, and the family. The family was hilarious there. Like, I mean, <laughs> just thinking that someone's coming to marry you and it really wasn't you. Mm-hmm. Um, that was funny to me. So I did have a feel-good moment and I think when you're watching rom-coms you're looking for that feel good moment and you will take it and put it in your feel good basket as soon as it comes so i did get some feel good eggs there it just wasn't my favorite of the three uh one of my it doesn't rank up there my top ones but it i did collect some feel good eggs from that movie
0: donna you're being very diplomatic <laughs> i appreciate that
1: well, I, d- I did get some feelings from it. I can't say, that I, like, if that Prime Minister story came out as a separate movie, I probably would dive in to find out what happens.
2: Well, I that, feel like that movie was very skillful at kind of pulling uh, at the heart, you know, with mm-hmm. with music and, and the scene setting. I do think that Love Actually was very skillful, skillfully, like, Produce design. I don't know. I don't know these words, but to to. I mean, I do think that's part of it. It really kind of. Mm -hmm. There's something about it that really that really gets you. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, like the scene setting, both with the airport at the beginning and the end. I think that's a that's effective. So I will. I want to get into some of our. We still want to talk about happiest season. I'm going to talk really briefly about my experience with Love Actually, which is that I watched it for the first time last year. Because for my birthday, which is around the holidays, this was just one year ago, uh, my husband and I went to the Kennedy Center to see Second City perform um, a show called Love Factually, which was a big spoof on Christmas rom-coms and specifically Love Actually. So I thought, okay, I've got to watch this. And to my 2019... Eyes, I, it was it was horrific. I, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be as diplomatic as Donna. I I found it <laughs> I found it really like upsetting on on so many levels. And I, you know I will just say with the prime minister speaking of of interracial love, I thought, oh, he and his assistant, that Nina Sosanya's character, his his you know efficient assistant, I thought that assistant was the one that he would fall for. And then this other woman just shows up. And she's very white and just also beautiful and not fat. And the whole idea that she was fat was very strange. So there, so we could just go down a rabbit hole, which Jezebel already did for us. We can share that. That I don't, I remember which Jezebel writer it was. I think it was Lindy West. Lindy sure. West. Yeah, I was thinking it was Lindy West. So um, we could even um, share that link, but generally... I will turn this into a positive, which is to say that I think if we look at the many things that are problematic to our 2020 eyes in love, actually um, it shows some growth culturally. You know, I think that we have evolved and I think that the three movies we're looking at show in different ways, how we've evolved. And before we switch to, to talking about happiest season, You know, I do want to say a couple of things about Operation Christmas Drop, which is that I really admire the way that women are seen as very powerful and in charge. You know, I love the woman who is the lieutenant colonel, colonel who's in the marriage with the general. So she's in an interracial marriage and she's also like the boss and she's a fantastic character, very small role, but really compelling. Um, Obviously the main character played by by Kat Graham, Erica, who's who's an up and coming congressional assistant. She's about to become the chief of staff for a congresswoman and Virginia Madsen's character. And the way that women listen to each other and support each other also have differences of opinion. I think that's great. And I also want to recognize and just underscore what Donna said that that movies that take place on military bases or with military personnel or military stuff are always going to have this propaganda piece. And that was certainly my experience when I was watching Captain Marvel, which uh, was a huge commercial for the military, you know, so we've got these really um, big ticket sort of prestigious brands like the Marvel Cinematic Universe that that do this too. And this goes a little bit back to the conversation that that Sharon and I had in our first episode, which is that a lot of what Hollywood produces is going to be very corporate and safe, and it's going to sort of be in favor of a lot of the big brands. And so these were things that I thought that I, that I do give a pass to, you know, I think a big part of what we're talking about here is how things are both awesome and feel good while being problematic. There's just nothing that's not problematic. I think that's got to be one of our taglines for this. Like
2: an onion. There's always like the
0: layers (laughs) to feel back. These are delicious onions that we're peeling here.
1: That's a good, good, good way to describe that.
0: Yes. Yes. So true. So let's go into talking about, we've been talking about these, these movies that deal with, with black love, with interracial relationships. And we want to move into the movie that came out this year that has this just absolutely beautiful lesbian couple played by Mackenzie Davis and Kristen Stewart. The movie is called Happiest Season. Um, it starts out in Pittsburgh it's so nice to see a Christmas movie that's set in a city that's not New York and and we see this really lovely Christmas decoration tour that these lovebirds are on at the beginning and there's also a pop song in the background and and then it goes into a a movie where it's it's, it's a somewhat familiar kind of plot line where um, a gay couple is not completely out. And um, some hijinks ensue as a result of that. In this case, they're going to uh, the Harper is Mackenzie Davis's character, they're going to her home to her sort of upper middle class bougie family home. Um, And they spend time with her extended family, which has some similarities to the extended family in Merry Little Christmas, you know, a lot of some grandchildren, some, all sorts of different family dynamics. And um, they deal with the um, dynamic of, of Harper Mackenzie Davis's character, knowing she needs to come out to her parents, but being so scared about that. And I want to turn it over to Sharon. Sharon and I have had a number of conversations about this. I I thought, wow, is this something that a 2020, lesbian couple would really deal with. And what, could you share, Sharon, what some of your thoughts were?
2: Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, I do want to say on the front of it that like, it's like slightly disappointing that that's like the premise of the movie because there's, you know, it, it didn't, it doesn't have to be a coming out story, but, but a coming out story is a very, is often, well, I shouldn't say universal is a pretty much universal, you know, um, gay, lesbian, LGBTQ, to IAA Alphabet Soup uh, experience, um, and and but but the truth of the matter is, like as I have shared with Carrie before, is that my wife, who we've been together for five years, she had never come out to her parents. Um, when we got together, we got we started dating in September, so you know, at like a date, and then we got more serious by Christmas, and she wanted me to come to part of her holiday celebration she she wasn't asking me to (laughs) to not well actually it was kind of a misunderstanding she was asking me to a part of a holiday celebration with people that she was out to not with her parents who um if you know my wife it's very not surprising that she is gay like she reads um from here to the highway (laughs) um but but i you know i was like no i'm not coming to your family christmas because I, and the i what i said was like i'm not going to let your closet splatter on me like i'm i'm here you know i'm, I'm not going to break up with you over it whatever whatever so but in the end she did end up coming out to her parents i went to her family christmas they looked like uncomfortable but then i was t- i think i told you Carrie, this that like we're sitting on the couch i'm kind of talking to them you know i'm really playing up just my midwest nice <laughs> um and at some point it came, like it just came up that i had grown up catholic and i just saw them like release like it just it was just they were like oh Okay. Like like not that it mattered to, but, Yes. Right. Like it didn't not that it mattered as catho but it just was like I think some piece of reassurance that they needed. So yes, I mean it is something I think that's that's relevant. Um, mm-hmm. in, you know, in terms of being a story and it is kind of I, I don't want to say it's universal cuz it's not not everybody comes out, not everybody you know, not not everybody even has re- the kinds of relationships that they want to be in or having. Um, but in terms of uh, something that ties many uh, queer queer folks together, that would be that would be one.
0: Yes, yeah, I I really appreciated you saying that, and I think that there's as we've mentioned, we all loved Daniel Levy in this movie so much as the best friend, and Donna loved how he had a tracker on everybody, how he just, of course, you know, microchipped all his friends, he knew where they were. I guess that there was their phone, but you know. Um, so, but there's a really beautiful scene where Kristen Stewart's character, in a way, she doesn't get why Harper's uh, Harper's closet is splattering all over her. To use uh, Sharon's image, and Daniel Levy's like, well, when I, you know, when his character came out to his dad, they didn't speak for 13 years. That it's just a really anxious moment for a lot of people because they don't know how this is going to change their lives and their relationships with, with their parents. But I want to turn it over to, to here, Donna, because I've, I've heard a theme sort of um, you share and saying that you don't, you, you sort of did not like, you don't like the idea of the closet splattering all over the person and, and you sort of did not See why uh, Kristen Stewart's character, Abby was, um, was playing along with this um Roxanne Gay is with us here she's just like what is this character doing with this and this was your first response right Donna like that was one of your can you say more about that
1: yeah I, I I guess I just when she invited her I felt like oh like you're she's not out yet and she invited her and it, it just, you know, went on and on. Even the friend kind of, you know, he kind of gave her kind of a heads up too. Like, uh, you know, you're going and just to have to keep sucking it all in. You know, I think I wanted her to come out way before like the whole, you know, because there was so much coming in. And then she seemed you know to be into the ex-boyfriend and then the the ex-girlfriend spills all of the tea of what happened between them like that would have been red flags to like run like I just couldn't understand that and then when she just has the meltdown like are you checking up on me you know I just need some space and I'm you need space for what? I just, I mean, so I needed her to not need that space. I needed you to say, I need help finding a way to say something. Um, Because what she went through on that visit was a lot. I'm not sure an I'm sorry could have cut that for me. So I definitely, um, I loved, of course, you know, the male best friend was Mm -hmm. my favorite. He was my absolute favorite, but I loved the biggest nugget was that everybody's situation is different. Everybody's story is different. And, you know, you wish that, you know, it didn't even have to be a movie about this. I felt like the movie definitely focused more on this relationship and her coming out than it did on the Christmas season. Um, So I felt like there was a lot more on the relationship. This could have taken place any time of the year. Whether it be, you know, the beginning of the year, the holidays, it could have taken place anytime. And I'm not sure um, that inviting her for Christmas was the best time because it's such a traditional time. I felt like, oh, well, this is when they're really in their their box during Christmas time. No one wants to hear anything during the Christmas mm-hmm. holiday or be confronted with anything, especially because her dad was running for office. And so it was just kind of like a bad timing, mm-hmm. but I definitely was rooting for them. But the more she pushed her away because she was trying to fit into the box of the family, that was so disheartening for me. I was really kind of upset about that. And I thought her her ex-girlfriend that went to high school with her or college, I thought she was great, like letting her know she was an integral piece of letting her know that she was a good girl, a good woman, but you know, like she knew it was messy. Yes, she knew it was messy, it was very messy to me. So, and I think that's where the male character comes in and he makes sure that to know that yes, this is messy, but it's doable.
0: He's
2: yeah. the Christmas spirit. I mean, they don't say it, but he is. That's what I felt like. I felt like you know. Donna, I think that observation so good about it not really being about Christmas in some ways. I mean, I do think the tension around Christmas and family, like, adds to the story. You know, it's kind of part of the the aura. But I do think that, like, if they could have just named some of these things, and then it would have been about Christmas. Like, you know, because the dad kind of has a change of heart that feels like a Christmas movie. And I do think that um, Daniel Levy, the the male best friend character, you know, he is kind of that little, you know not like ghost of christmas past present and future but kind of like he's that little um support or conscience or something and in, in many different ways but i did think that and i did donna when my friend group was blown we all watched the movie right um a writer, right you know my queer female friends thanksgiving weekend and some people a lot of people hated it for some of the reasons we're talking about today but but a lot of people most of us loved it and the thing was like, why isn't she leaving with the friend? Like, why isn't Kristen Stewart, Abby getting together with Aubrey Plaza, the, the best friend, Who the you know, um, I'm getting all the characters confused, but Mackenzie Davis, the actress's uh, girlfriend that she screwed over with. high school.
1: Riley, Riley thank yeah. you.
2: Like, Riley and Abby should be together. And that it would be like, then the perfect lesbian rom-com because, you know, there's this trope that comes from being true is that like when you're in a small, when you're, when you're part of a social world where there's not that many of you mm-hmm. and you're all kind of interconnected, you date each other's exes. Like it's mm-hmm. just kind of a thing. So that was, there's a whole, and Roxanne Gay was on that. Was, <laughs> was, she, she was on that. She was like, that's the real relationship. But so it's, so it's funny. But I, I mean, it, to me, like, I think it could have used a little more exposition or showing how, you know, Abby and Harper were so great together. Cause we didn't always saw, you know, we didn't see much of how like wonderful their relationship was for Abby to stick through it with all that stuff that happened. And then, you know, what I think is showing more of the family and why Harper was so invested. I don't think that they did a great job until the end of showing the pressure that was on them to conform to a certain kind of thing. The only thing I will say is that that comment that the mom made at um, the, the big, the they went out to dinner at the country club and they did see Riley, Aubrey Plaza's character, and she made this comment about lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And that was the only piece to me that I was like, okay, I think something that really gets in the way of people coming out is you hear your parent make a comment when you are 12 years old, yes. when you are 13 years old, when you are five years old, when you are whatever, 18 years old. And they're not talking about you because they don't know they're talking about you. And they say, like, oh, there's no such thing as being bisexual or or oh, I don't want any of that in my house. And even if and, and it you it just it becomes this little offhand comment that they made that just sticks in your craw, like and it just is a mountain to kind of coming out. And I do think if they'd shown that a little, like I think there was a that was kind of the clue to me. Mm-hmm that there was a reason that she couldn't or felt like she couldn't come out to them. So.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I know. I so agree that, that I, I think the movie spent too much time on certain things and not enough time on, on some of on laying some of this groundwork that only comes out in little bits and pieces. And, but you're so right, Sharon. And I've experienced that as a kid, you know, hearing my parents say things and then feeling like I had to conform to something or hide something and it's just it's just a real and universal experience. And um, I want to just shout out one other character, the sister Jane, who just seems kind of <laughs> like a a lunatic. She's so much so much uh, uh, comic relief. And she, uh, the actress Mary Holland, is one of the co-writers of this movie. She co-wrote it with the director Clea Duvall, who's an actress that we've seen in many things such as Veep and uh, The hand, Handmaid's Tale.
2: And she's the one who gets with Riley in the end. In, in the Instagram feed, it's Clea DuVall who's oh, next to Riley man. as the girlfriend. Oh, that yeah. is
0: just so perfect. Oh my goodness, I missed that. I, I did like how the the movie resolved itself in the Instagram feed for sure. That was that was a I great did too. yes. Yes. Um, so I would, and I would say that that one of the great things that that does come out is that that this Jane character has a sort of freedom from that because her parents. Just released her from all of the pressure and expectation when she wouldn't stop biting in kindergarten or something. It was like, okay, there's we're not gonna pressure her the way that we're gonna pressure our other two daughters to have a certain kind of life. So, I thought that that there there were some great insights there, and uh, that it was ultimately all three of these are just lovely movies that I think do um, combine the goal of a of a Christmas rom com that just it helps us feel good. It's got the music, the lights, the family dynamics, the silliness, the knocked down Christmas trees or whatever. But also um, they tell us something about where we are culturally, that we um, see that love is love, as Donna was saying, that that it can happen in all sorts of places among all sorts of people, and that um, you can have a very sort of wholesome happy story um, that that includes a lot of dynamics that that we recognize and appreciate at this time so thank you guys so much for having this conversation as always it's a delight to process these things with you on a lot to process and i look forward to talking to you again soon about topics that are important to us Thanks, guys.
1: You're welcome. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. You can reach us at podcast at gmail.com. That's podcast at gmail.com. As ever... It's a lot to process, but not too much, thanks to our creative team, which includes Donna Anderson, Joanna Chen, Sharon Lewis, Alex Sievers, and Brianne Young. I'm Carrie Osi, and I'll see you next week when there will be, no doubt, a lot to process.